Welcome to She Is Your Neighbor, a show where we discuss the realities and complexities of domestic violence. This podcast is brought to you by Women's Crisis Services of Waterloo Region, a charitable organization in Ontario, Canada. I'm your host, Jenna Main. Join me as we talk to different people each week to learn how domestic violence impacts people from all walks of life. She is your neighbor, and we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. Welcome to the 10th and final episode of season one. It is hard to believe it's the end of the first season already. It has been really exciting and great to learn from all these guests. Uh, And I'm pretty excited about the episode we are sharing with you today. Since it's November, which is Woman Abuse Prevention Month, we have a very special guest. Uh, This episode is called How Domestic Violence Impacts Ontario Women and Children, and it's with Jill Dunlop, who's the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Issues in Ontario. In this episode, we talk about domestic violence in Ontario, what role the government plays, and much more. The minister also shares some great stories that she has heard. She's heard some from frontline workers uh, in shelters and also from women entrepreneurs and business owners who actually told her that they stayed in shelters before moving on to open up their own businesses. So it's pretty neat and I think you're going to really enjoy it. I also just want to say it has been incredible to connect with all these awesome guests this season. We've heard stories of bravery, strength, and resilience. And I think all these stories have reminded us that she is your neighbor, domestic violence is happening in our neighborhoods, uh, and it just reminds us that we all have a role to play in ending domestic violence. Well, thanks again for joining me today. So excited to be here and chat with you and just really excited for this. So. Well, thank, thank you, you for, uh, for being here. This is great. Oh, yeah. This will be great. So anyways, can you start by sharing a little bit about yourself for everyone listening? Sure. Uh, my name is Jill Dunlop. I'm the Associate Minister of Children and Women's Issues. I was a newly elected MPP in 2018, and I represent the riding of Simcoe North, which is just north of uh, Barrie, so the Aurelia Midland area. And I was appointed uh, as a minister uh, last June. So. It's been a, a you know, big learning curve, but it's a, a great ministry. I love the work that we're doing here and the different portfolios within this ministry that I have responsibility for. Uh, growing up, my father was actually the, the previous uh, MPP before me, so I you know, kind of had an idea of what uh, an MPP's life would look like coming into this. Um, but I was also, my family are tradespeople. We owned a plumbing business in Coldwater, so you know, I have great respect for the trades and I've carried that uh, interest over into our ministry and how we can be empowering women to, to get into you know, trades-related jobs. I think they're, they're good-paying jobs with great opportunities. And I think there's a great value there for, for the, uh, the women that uh, we serve. Awesome. Thanks so much. And we were chatting about it earlier, but I'm from Aurelia, actually. So Amazing. it's kind of cool. <laughs> so I know the area you're from. And yeah, it's a, it's a good place. So. It's very <laughs> nice. I'm uh, very fortunate to represent such a beautiful area. Uh, you know, being in uh, rural Ontario and having you know, lots of lakes and parks and everything. So very fortunate to be, to be in that area. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful over there. So today we're going to talk a little bit about domestic violence, we're going to talk about the role of the government, and we're going to talk about domestic violence and violence against women in Ontario more specifically. Mm -hmm. So 
First, can you kind of start by explaining what role the provincial government plays when it comes to domestic violence? Well, the, the government, um, you know, our ministry specifically has a, a very large role in the support that we provide to organizations who are providing those supports to uh, to women, so our frontline workers, and I think that's so important, and I want to thank them, you know, right now from the bottom of my heart for the work that they've been during, doing during COVID. Um, not only are they worrying about their own uh, family at home, but they're uh, working really hard to protect the women and children that they serve on the front lines too. So I think you know, I want to give them a shout out. But the uh, you know, some of the, the funding programs that we offer in the province are 24-hour crisis lines. And I can tell you during COVID, you know, this was something that uh, government recognized right away that violence against women um, would increase during stressful times. And um, we approached that um, with that in mind right away and providing the uh, flexibility and funding for our transfer payment uh, organizations to allow them the flexibility to also be creative in the way that they spend that money as they see fit. You know, they're the, the people with their feet on the ground, um, frontline workers, and they know how best to, to serve uh, the women and children that they serve. So the 24-hour crisis lines has been important. Um, violence against women shelters. Um, I've toured many shelters uh, this past year and a half, you know, not only in my own riding, but you know, everywhere from Thunder Bay and Kenora down to Windsor and really meeting with uh, you know, frontline workers who are so passionate about the work they do. And you know, I can tell you when I visit them, you know, I leave with my heart full knowing that the money that the government is transferring to those organizations is really doing incredible work for women and children who are um, victims of domestic violence. So I think that's been important for me to see as a minister as well. Um, we have victim uh, witness assistance programs that the government funds, um, also sexual assault centers that you know, during uh, COVID we were able to uh, provide a uh, million dollars in uh, gender-based violence relief funding to help those organizations to be able to take their counseling services online. And I was recently visiting an organization in Burlington and you know they were showing us the um, that, you know, how they'd spent that money on computers and um, cameras and everything. And I had asked them, you know, did you think that you would ever be in this situation where you were doing virtual counseling? And they said, no, it seemed like something that was so futuristic. But yet, you know, within two weeks, we were able to, with this funding, able to get the equipment we needed to have our counselors working from home with the supplies they needed and um, serving the uh, the men and women that they needed to at that time, which is incredible. And, you know, taking from that, um, they were able to serve more people um, from outside of their typical region. And I think that's so important. And, you know, one of the positive things that comes out of a pandemic is the way, you know, not only government was able to pivot, but also organizations to make sure that um, the health and safety of uh, the people they serve was a, a priority for those organizations. So. Um, you know, we also fund uh, public education initiatives that are there for um, you know, organizations uh, across the province, um, just in raising awareness and preventing violence against uh, um, women and children. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for explaining that. And um, the provincial government is our biggest funder, so thank you so much because we wouldn't be able to do our work in Waterloo Region without you. Um, so thank you so much, and especially during the pandemic, like you said, it's been um, 
really helpful to have those extra resources. I know at our organization, we have had to pivot quickly. And Mm -hmm. like you said, even the crisis lines and things like that, ours went online. So now we have an online chat feature, which has been so helpful for um, women who are trapped at home during the pandemic. I think the chat features are amazing too for the... um, the crisis centers, and you know, also when we're talking like, to to kids, help phone, right? That you know, that's kind of a sign of the times that you know people aren't always picking up a phone to call. But the text feature is amazing too. So it's like you say, when you're you're at home with uh, your perpetrator, you're maybe not able to call, but having that option to to text and ask for help is is available. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. It's you can't really pick up the phone and make a, a call out loud, so yeah. it's a bit more discreet. And yeah, it's just nice that we're able to make these pivots at this time because everything is ever changing, as we know. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different world right now. So for sure. But I think you know what's important too is seeing. Um, you've seen government collaborate at all levels, and you've seen organizations and communities collaborating mm-hmm. as well, pulling all those resources together to to best support that the people that they're serving. So I think it's. Uh, you know, good things do come out of these situations. Yes, I think so too. I think we have to look for that sometimes because yeah. it can be hard. <laughs> I know, it can be difficult. Yeah. And, um, you know, you see some of the, the devastating things happening, but, you know, what can we take from this moving forward to then better support the people that need our help? Exactly, exactly. So kind of as we're talking about those challenges, I wonder if we can talk about them a little bit more. Um, so COVID in particular has brought a lot of challenges for women and children. And we, we just talked about um, some of those people who are impacted mm-hmm. and how. I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little and talk about what some of the major challenges are that you're seeing for women and children in Ontario. Um, well, we, you know, we recognize that, you know, as government, we're telling people to, to physical distance, that that's not always possible when you are at home with your perpetrator and, and the, the violence in the home. So, um, you know, having opportunities like the, the hotlines and the, the texting lines is so important to, um, you know, get the information to those women that they may need um, and the, the supports there as well. I think that is so important. Um, the, you know, over the past few months, our government was, was working with, with partners in um, different ministries as well, Ministry of Health, and just, you know, we recognize the impact of the, the pandemic on um, people in Ontario. Uh, some of the other funding that we have provided to, um, you know, as support at these times was the, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, the, the government provided $20 million uh, for residential settings. So this also includes um, centers like um, women's shelters mm-hmm. as well, you know, group homes. So these congregate um, care type settings. Um, and then we also, it also helped with PPE. And that was something you know, we heard you know, right away from organizations was that PPE was not something that they typically needed in a women's shelter. Yeah. And so they were you know, trying to find, when everybody was trying to find PPE, um, you know, here we have organizations that didn't have access to it in the, the, the past, so it was difficult. And I want to give a shout out to the Ontario Association of Children's Aid Societies. So they represented our Ministry of Children and Community Services. And uh, you know, over the past, what's it been, you know, 
eight, nine months now, they've delivered over 10 million pieces of PPE to agencies within our ministry. Oh, wow. So they really came together, and I was talking with their executive director recently and was saying that we actually had other ministries asking us if they could be part of the system that we were using because they heard how quickly that our organizations were getting PPE as they needed. So you know, that was an important piece. Um, we also provided $200 million with a social services relief fund. So this had an impact on the, uh, the victims that uh, you know, we are supporting in this ministry. Um, and we also announced a $40 million residential relief fund. So again, additional uh, funding for this ministry, which was uh, very welcomed by the, the organizations that we serve and uh, just having the, the flexibility with that funding to um, use as they um, needed to at the time was, uh, was important. And we were just, I just had a call with an organization today who was saying, you know, we really appreciate the government's uh, respect and faith in us to use the money accordingly and uh, you know as we best see fit for the the organization that we serve and the women that we serve at that time so it's it's been uh, definitely the government working with our, our agencies to uh, make sure that we're providing the best supports that we possibly can during this time and it's it is an ever-changing situation too so you know we always uh, you know we're able to adapt as we need to to best support Oh yeah, and I, I agree. I think that flexibility is so important. It's so mm -hmm. helpful for organizations like um, like the one I work at, I know, yeah. because our needs are changing. Things change every day with COVID, yep. um, especially with women coming in who are in crisis. Their needs are changing all the time too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, what are we doing today? It might be different from what we're doing tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. So being able to kind of prioritize and, and have that flexibility, I know is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And the PPE, because yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of mask wearing yeah. and fog. We got these new foggers, so you actually um, fog the whole room. It looks like someone yeah. from Ghostbusters like, <laughs> coming out. So, But it makes life so much easier, because when you're in a congregate care setting and yeah. you have all these people together, um, you, you need that kind of support so mm -hmm. it really is you want to keep them safe and their families and you also want to you know uh, be sure that when you return home to your own family that that they're safe as well too so I, I think the uh, the PPE has definitely been a huge learning curve for many because it's not something that you were typically using before no it's <laughs> it's definitely different even for me and I mean I'm not um, down in the shelter working with the women uh -huh. as you know but I'm still wearing a mask every day getting my temperature taken and it's a whole whole new world and then you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's just lots going on but the ability to pivot I think is big right now yeah I was also going to mention that um, you know with uh, congregate care and um, uh, you know women's shelters that you know, right away we recognized that there was going to be staffing issues that you know if you're looking at a women's shelter it's going to be typically um, women who are working in those areas and that they were going to need um, child care to be able to um, continue working so we were able to make uh, shelter workers um, essential workers so that they were able to continue to receive the child care that they needed um, we also implemented the temporary pay increase for those workers as well you know, they were working with a, a vulnerable population and we wanted to make sure that they were um, you know, receiving the, the funds that they needed to continue um, you know, being able to, to come to work at, at that time. And then also um, I had mentioned about the announcing the $1 million in the gender-based violence uh, relief fund to, to help with those organizations pivot as they see fit during the time. Oh yeah, the, all those things you just mentioned I know were big for us because <laughs> yeah, it's just it's really helpful, especially for our staff, the direct frontline workers. 
you know, it is taking a toll on their mm -hmm. mental well-being as well. So mm -hmm. I think every everything helps and a pay increase, it's going to be another incentive to keep mm -hmm. working and keep things moving and yeah. and keep everyone as safe as we can. So yeah. And, you know, early on when, when kids were sent home because schools were closed, that for, for some people that you know, put them in a situation, well, what about daycare? And uh, to be able to provide that to those frontline workers was so important. Oh yeah, it's it's true. And childcare, I think it's been a whole thing. Like this pandemic has been, it's been really hard on women. Mm -hmm. I would say more so um, than anybody else because you know you are trying to figure out how do I. It, the burden falls on women a lot of the time to take mm -hmm. care of kids. How do you keep working, especially when, like you said, it's mostly women working in the congregate care settings. Yeah. I think it has been uh, really difficult. So. You know, being able to, I know for our workers, being able to put their kids in childcare so that they still can come to work mm -hmm. and do their job and try and help the community, I know that's been big, so. Yeah, well I can tell you childcare comes up in, in all of our discussions. I always say, you know, I'm not the minister responsible for childcare, but it, it is a, a women's issue, it's a family issue, and you know, what can we be doing in conjunction with the Minister of Education to you know, break down barriers for women and, and have the, the opportunities uh, for childcare and making sure that there's spaces available but also having that flexibility too because not everyone works a, a nine to five job. Um, how do we make that more flexible for, for women and families? Yeah, for sure. So I know we're kind of already talking about this. Um, <laughs> so my, um, I was wondering next what steps the government was taking to address challenges. We've kind of already gone through a lot of this, but <laughs> I was wondering if there's anything else you wanted to add about um, what the government's doing to help vulnerable women and children right now. Well, um, you know, one thing that we've been uh, we had a huge focus on is human trafficking. And when I uh, was appointed minister last year, I had the opportunity to travel across the province um, hosting round tables and we held uh, 13 round tables um, f you know, in all geographic areas and heard the challenges that organizations are facing, you know, whether it's geographic challenges, um, you know, lack of supports in certain areas, housing. But you know, the one thing we, we did hear loud and clear was the, the need for annualized funding. So last November, we announced uh, $20 million in annualized funding for organizations um, serving um, survivors of human trafficking. And then just prior to, to COVID, uh, we announced a, our new anti-human trafficking strategy, which um, I'm the co-lead with the Solicitor General. So I think it, that really shows the focus of the government that um, not only are we holding offenders accountable, but we're also providing the supports necessary for those people who are exiting trafficking um, to um, to reintegrate into society and communities. Um, that's been a, a huge focus. So we announced a $307 million strategy in March, and in a couple of weeks we'll be announcing our um, grantees for the uh, Community Supports Fund and the Indigenous-led Initiatives Fund. So these are the on-the-ground frontline workers providing the, the services in our communities to, to victims of human trafficking. And, I think it's you know it's so important to have an opportunity to talk about human trafficking because we know that educating the public is so so important and the fact that this is happening right in our communities across Ontario um, and I think as uh, you know she's your neighbor is uh, you know works very well with uh, the work that we are doing because a human trafficking victim could be your neighbor it could be your your daughter your granddaughter and I think it's uh, it's important that you know we're educating the public, you know, whenever we can. Whether that's educating young people in um, 
you know, what to look for if somebody is trying to lure you to trafficking, um, if it's something you recognize that maybe your friend's going through, but also for, for parents and grandparents to recognize the signs and to be able to have you know, those uncomfortable dis discussions with, with their young people, but it's, you know, it, it could be saving a life. So it's something, you know, that we encourage uh, families to, to learn more about, and it is part of the new health and physical education curriculum as well. So starting in grade six, um, you know, we're talking about human trafficking, we're talking about consent and, and what healthy relationships are. So it's, you know, we're looking to young men as well to be allies to, to young women um, to support them and be um, an ally too because you know human trafficking the uh, average age is just 13 years old that um, victims are recruited so we need to be having these discussions early on oh that's amazing i'm so glad you brought that up because i think there's such a tie between domestic violence and human trafficking as well mm -hmm. like you said often there's a luring, there's a grooming process that mm -hmm. happens, and I know we do see women in our shelters, you know, we serve victims of domestic violence, but we often see women who have been trafficked as well. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, you know, our focus is on domestic violence, but often that line is a bit blurred because if someone sees their partner, if someone um, believes that someone is their partner and someone has acted that way, mm -hmm. you know, it may not always be the case, like often, people will pose as a partner in yep. order to lure someone in. And like you said, it happens so young. So I think we don't always think about who the victims are and just how common it is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's important for people to realize that it's, it is happening in communities across Ontario. And you know, some people think it's, as I mentioned before, like it's the movie Taken. It's not necessarily like that. It's the, the luring, the grooming. It's um, getting you know, a young person uh, thinking it's a relationship that this is a, a loving partner who's buying them gifts but really they're they're grooming them for that and I think that's important that if you you, know, you recognize that a young person you know is withdrawing from their their normal activities from their normal circle of friends and becoming secretive um, that those could be signs to to be uh, to be aware of yeah oh yeah I'm glad you kind of mentioned what to look for as well too because and that's why the education and awareness is so important because it can start so young and I think it does start with talking about what are healthy relationships what are healthy boundaries and what are kind of the red flags to look for because if you're not aware of that you you very well may think you're in a relationship with someone and then you find yourself in this type of situation of human trafficking so mm -hmm. like you said it's difficult conversations to have with family and friends and uh, loved ones, but I, I think it's really important and necessary. Yeah, we actually just released an app um, in the uh, back in the, the fall that was uh, one is called uh, Speak Out and Stop Sex Trafficking, and the other one is The Trap. And so it's uh, to be used with a facilitator, but it gives young people the opportunity to work through scenarios in a safe environment. But it really, um, as it asks mm -hmm. you the questions and puts you in those situations, it really pushes you to see, you know what would you do if, if somebody had asked you to do this and, and continued pushing that, um, but to be able to, to work that out in a safe environment that you know this is what you should do. And, but just to show them that it's those signs, that it's, it's so simple that you could go down that, that path and be lured in. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. I think that's a mm -hmm. fantastic idea. Cause I, I think it's one thing to learn it, but to try and go through the motions yourself and think yeah. about how you would react, I think you know those are the tools that mm -hmm. people need. And I think, so. you know, Young people probably think it's never going to happen to me, and as parents, you probably think it's not going to happen to my, my son or daughter. But you know, the reality is, you know, two thirds of reported cases in Canada actually are happening right here in Ontario. 
so it uh, it is a reality and we need to be you know, proactive and we need to be uh, educating the public in, in the best way that we can awesome yeah thank you for expanding on that I think that's really really important um, so I'm also wondering, you know, you're the Associate Minister of Women's and Children's Issues, so obviously you've probably heard a lot of stories from women and children about things that they've gone through, stories of domestic violence or experiencing other types of violence perhaps. I was wondering if you could um, share a story, something that sticks out in your mind, a story that you've heard from a woman. Sure. Um I'll tell you a couple of things. I remember, uh, so in my, my previous role, I worked at uh, Georgian College and I worked with students yeah. in uh, the social service work program, yeah. helping with their, their co-op placement. So I'd worked um, a lot with our, our local shelters, um, just in that means, but you know, never really um, toured the, the inside of a shelter. And I remember the, the first shelter I went to after being appointed in this role and uh, you know, going in and walking the halls and going into you know, a typical bedroom and seeing a crib. And you know that brought tears to my eyes because I thought, you know, what, no, no child should ever have to, at any point in their life, have spent time in a shelter, nor with their mother as well. Mm -hmm. But to see you know that incredible work that um, frontline workers are doing in our shelters to support women and their children in their time of need, I think is absolutely amazing. Um, I recently had the opportunity to meet with. Uh, a business owner and you know we were actually there talking about um, you know women's economic recovery during COVID and you know really celebrating women business owners who've, who've been successful and um, you know we were, were chatting off to the side and, and uh, she said oh I, I heard that you're visiting our local shelter today and I said yeah we are and she said you know I actually spent time there with my my three daughters and she said they you know the, the support they gave me when I, when I needed them was amazing and it got me to where I am today and you know that's that's what we want to see right we want to be able to see the the supports available that then empower women to be able to go off on their own be you know financially responsible and not have to rely on someone else because you know in a lot of situations you know that's um, someone has taken that power away from them so I think she was an incredible example and uh, you know, I mentioned earlier I've been an advocate for the trades and I was in Niagara Falls last year and was at um, a women's shelter and one of the board members was telling me that um, she had been there as a, a young person with her mother and uh, she said the, uh, the caseworker at the time you know, was trying to, to help her develop some um, employment skills to, to get her back on her feet and she said, you know what, you should go into a trade. And she said, you know, my mom thought, well, it's not, never something, you know, I didn't consider that. And she said, you know, now my mom is a, uh, a tradesperson. She runs her own business. She employs other women. And she got her, you know, got her feet back on the ground and, uh, you know, was successful and, and out there helping other people. So I, you know, I think to me that means so much to see that, you know, what government can do in supporting these organizations um, means so much to the, the people who are coming into those shelters receiving that support and uh, having it there at their time of need it, it's so important well that's amazing I love those stories you should see the big smile <laughs> on my face but I think it's just so cool especially when someone could go through that kind of hardship and, yep. and have that kind of resiliency to to not even get through it and make it out but then start their own business and yeah. be able to support their family like that is so empowering that's just really amazing to hear yeah. and 
I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised. We have a lot of women who stay in our shelters and they have really amazing talents. Mm -hmm. It's just sometimes they're not able to focus on that because they're focusing on a lot of other things yeah. at the time. But you know, we see- That's so true, right? It, it takes yeah. it takes getting to a point to, to be feeling safe and supported before you can even think about, you know, um, employed skills to, to move mm -hmm. forward and, and what's the, the next step. But I think, uh, you know, it's amazing too when you, I visit shelters and you know, I meet people who are on the board of directors or, or who are working there who at some point in their life either were themselves in that situation or were supporting someone or a family member. Um, so, you know, they're, they're there because they have so much passion to, to help other people who are um, survivors. Oh yeah, it's, it is incredible. It touches so many people's lives and I think we don't always realize it. Um, mm -hmm. I think often too, when we think of domestic violence, we sometimes think of the physical violence. We don't think of all the different types. Yep. And so sometimes we imagine it, it might happen to one specific type of person or just not happening to people we know, but it does happen all around us. And, and it's amazing though, to hear so many people who know someone who went through it and then has yeah. achieved so much afterwards. And uh, just the strength of women, it's really awesome. It I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> the women, and I think the women who are there supporting them as well too. That's true, that's yeah. true. It takes a whole community working does, together, yeah. really. Yeah, that's awesome. So. You know, this podcast is part of the overarching She Is Your Neighbor project, mm -hmm. like we were talking about. Um, and a big part of this project is encouraging the community to be good neighbors, you know. Um, so I'm kind of wondering what your kind of tips are or thoughts on how to be good neighbors to women and children experiencing domestic violence, what you encourage the community to do. I think as a community member, you know, as a neighbor, it's important um, to be there to, to listen and to help as somebody needs. Um, and not to be judgmental because you know it's it's not easy for someone to leave that situation um, now I can't say I've I, I haven't been in that situation before I've been very very fortunate to have loving supportive men in my life uh, whether it's you know family or, or in you know, uh, fellow colleagues as well but uh, I know it is a difficult situation from women I've talked to and I think you know it's just to say, you know, like, just leave. It's, it's not that easy. And when I've met with women in shelters, you know, it, it is difficult. They're, you know, having to, you know, in some cases move themselves and their, their children into a, a shelter. You know, they're worrying about getting their child to school, worrying about trying to continue with their job. Um, you know, so it is a difficult situation, but I think as a neighbor, you know, we need to be there, we need to be listening and, and supportive along that, that path. Um, and do whatever we, we can. Um, you know, I think with the uh, Day of Remembrance um, coming up soon in, in December, I remember uh, being at one of the um, ceremonies in, in my riding a couple years ago, and each year they, they name off the, the women who have died that year as a result of uh, domestic violence and, you know, hearing the ages. And I remember going back to my, my own daughters. I have three daughters, so you know, this is obviously something very close to me because we know that one in three women will experience domestic violence in their life. So that could be one of my own daughters, it could be you know, one of my staff members or my colleagues. Um, so I think it's something that should be close to, to all of us. We all have women in our lives, you know, whether they're relatives, colleagues, teachers and friends, um, but to be there to support them. But I remember when they were reading the list of, of women, and I remember going back to my daughters that day and saying, you know, if this ever happens to you like please you know come to me go tell a friend like it's um, these women likely didn't die on the first time this happened this has been something that's been you know 
culminating. So mm-hmm. you know, please tell someone, don't ever let this happen. You know, be, be a good friend and a good neighbor to, to somebody else if you know this is happening. So I think it you know, really takes everyone coming together and providing that support and you know, having our strong men as, as allies as well too. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's so important, and like you said, when we think about um, femicide and women who um, are killed when it comes to domestic violence, mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to think about. It's a hard reality, but we don't do know on average it's every six days in Canada a woman is killed by an intimate partner. So, unfortunately, it is happening, and and like you said, I don't think it's often happening. It's not the f- the first thing that has happened. So mm-hmm. I think watching for those signs, being aware of the signs, feeling like you have someone you can confide in mm-hmm. and talk to, um, I think those are all important. So I, I think you're so right. I think that's kind of what we can do to be good neighbors is, you know, listen, support women. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I totally agree about that. <laughs> uh, just last kind of question I have here uh, before we wrap it up is just wondering simply why this conversation is important to you. Um, well, obviously important to me as a minister responsible in this area, but you know, as I just said, my, I'm a mother of three daughters, so it's uh, personally very important to me as well. And just um, you know, protecting the women around us, um, it's uh, it's important as you know, as minister, um, you know, seeing firsthand the the work that is done in um, shelters and violence against women organizations that. It, uh, it means so much, every dollar that, that comes to them, um, the support and that they're um, giving to women um, and helping to you know, empower them to be able to, to, to move forward with confidence. Um, and I think you know, teaching um, young people at a, at a young age in school, you know, the, the health and physical education curriculum, you know, what does a healthy relationship look like? Because not everyone witnesses that growing up. So how do we teach at a young a young age to to have that respect for each other? Uh, learning about consent, it's uh, it's it's also important. So I think I, uh, you know, I come up from a per- professional perspective, but also a, a personal perspective as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm I'm so grateful we could have you on the podcast. It's really exciting to meet you, and I'm just really grateful to have you here. Oh, thank you. It was it was great for me too. I know there's amazing work going on. To, uh, to support women and, and children in this province. And uh, you know, I thank all the people out there who, who do the work. And uh, I think it's you know, absolutely amazing and, and you know, a great opportunity for, for me to talk about some of the work that we're doing here too. That wraps up this week's show, but the conversation is far from over. We wanna hear what you think. Use the hashtag, #SheIsYourNeighbor on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and join in the conversation. We all have a role to play in ending domestic violence.